This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookends. Kia ora, welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rat, and this is our first programme for 2023. Happy New Year to you all. Ruth and I have got two fascinating books for your summer reading list. I talk with uh, journalist Anka Richter about her new book called Cult Trip. The title says it all. And Ruth talks with psychotherapist and artist Juliet Batten about her latest work. Juliet Batten has a PhD in English and taught English Women's Studies and Environmental Studies at the University of Auckland before working for 26 years as a psychotherapist. She's an artist. She's done all sorts of projects with uh, the 100 Women Project out at Tanga Beach, and she's practised meditation since 1983 and celebrated the seasons with a group of women since 1985. She is committed to spiritual growth through all stages of life, and she has a new journal out, the Persimmon Journal. Welcome to the programme, Juliet. Thank you, Ruth. Now, the pomegranate, the first one I talked to you about, was the perfect symbol when you, at 75, I think, you decided to write a reflective journal. And now you've written a sequel covering the COVID period and a new phase of your life from 77 to 79, with the Permison Journal, the fruit of the the Permison tree. Welcome to the programme. Thank you. How did you, uh, why did you decide to write a sequel? Was it the right time? Because I was so much into the swing of writing the journal through the pomegranate years, I simply continued and the the issue really was where to close off the pomegranate journal and yes. start the new one. And it was made very easy for me because New Zealand went into lockdown and that was such a threshold and such a change that that was really just the beginning of the Persimmon Journal. Yes, well, it, it was perfect timing, wasn't it? Not that we all want to go through all that again, but um, it's still around. But uh, I, I was also interested how you... Um, took the seasons of the year you didn't I mean you, you still had the dates in the, in the month but we started in autumn on the 26th of March when we all went down into lockdown and had you decided to write like that? It just fell into place Ruth because um, I had no control over when lockdown started No, no, it just <laughs> it happened No, that's right planned. And um, and the ending also just fell into place. And, and as I say, the journal is ongoing. I'm still writing it. But, but finding the beginning and ending was just something quite intuitive and sometimes dictated by what was happening in my world. And I found I, as an older woman, related very closely to it because it took me back. I haven't actually kept a journal written a journal about that period I've written a few notes but I'm not very good at being consistent with journals but uh, 
I intend to write a little bit more for my fam, for my grandchildren um, of that period of time because um, for me, I, I was on my own and um, it wasn't e- so easy. But I did have a daughter here who used to um, press the button on my door and then leave the groceries outside um, for me to go and get gather later. So... Um, I, I did find a lot of um, things that were similar experiences, but you had um, a very, very big one, didn't you? Removing, uh, selling your batch and moving finally to not go out to that area again, which was part of your big part of your life. Yes, selling the batch was a huge thing. I thought I would never do it, and when it was suggested to me at one stage in a family discussion, I said never, and then it became apparent because I developed a disability with my right hand, and um, I lost all the strength in my thumb, and it seems a simple thing to lose the strength in your thumb, but it meant I couldn't carry things or do physical work anymore, so I had to sell the batch, and that came on the tail of, of all the lockdowns, so it was quite a challenging period. Oh, especially um, moving your things out after so many... Was it 1968 you first went to Tahanga? 53 years mm. in Tahanga at the Badge and caring for that land, I was deeply, deeply attached to it and it was quite a wrench. I'm sure. Re- what, you thought of leaving it for your grandchildren, for your family... Yes, well, it turned out from a family discussion that my my son and daughter-in-law really weren't interested in, in having to look after it, the amount of maintenance that was required. And they said, well, we love the land. We're not really attached to the building. And um, I could see that it, it had to go. And I think it was part of... Um, You know, there's a lot of resistance sometimes to letting go of a beloved place, but there's a lot of liberation that can come from being willing to do it and to feel the grief and have the release at the other end. And a lot of the book is about release when we allow ourselves to go through something rather than resisting it. And that's something very hard for many of us as we age because we want to hold on to things. We don't like change so much. And that's really what I got out of your journal and made me rethink my life as it is now. And um, I'm 88, so it's a bit older. And the art of getting older through lockdown, loss and release. And release is the important word, isn't it? It is. It's the key word because we can have the idea that that successful ageing is about always being able to do what we've always done. And to a certain extent, you know, I do write a chapter on habituation and the value of that, just keeping doing the thing that we know we're good at. That can be very sustaining. But on the other hand, we're challenged to let go of things that we can't do anymore. And I see successful ageing as doing... Um, about cultivating the art of renewal and trusting that we can keep renewing ourselves, we can adapt to new situations, we can recreate ourselves. And that's, that actually refreshes our spirit enormously and keeps us with a young attitude on the inside. 
Yes, well, I found that with the earthquake, you know, the acceptance when I lost my house and everything and Christchurch, and uh, I think it was, you know, when I came to rebuild and and refurnish the house and things, and I thought, you know, I can accept this because I'm going to have a um, insulation and things that I didn't have in my older cottage, and I just, um, it was, there was a calmness that came upon me when I felt I didn't have to replace everything, and a lot of it was just stuff that had been accumulated, especially as I got older, and I didn't really need those things so much, um, and my son taught me quite a lot by building a tiny house, because he said, I don't want a huge house to live in with my daughter. Um, I just want a tiny house. And i going up to see it in the Coromandel at Christmas, and I'm really excited about that because I haven't um, been there yet. Those are wonderful examples, Ruth, of being able to release and move into something new that can be better or, or more right for the phase of life you're in. Yes, and you say somewhere in the book, um, I will step more lightly into older age because of learning to release. And I'm quoting that to all my friends. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> suggesting that they buy the book and read it. And I, th- I think it's such an important book because I don't think I've read anything that spells it out so clearly and gives you gives me lots of examples that you have done because there are... Would, that the um, selling of your batch to me seemed the hardest one, um, but you got through it and you did it. And you you said talked about a calmness that came over you when you were, you know, when you had released it. Yes, and it's true. I have stepped more lightly into old age because of this. I'm eighty now, and I feel a real sense of relief and spaciousness that I don't have to look after something that had be, that really was becoming a burden to me. Yes. So you say you're still continuing this diary, this journal. Yes. Are you? I am, because I always had the idea there would be a trilogy of three journals, and the third one is, is already written. I just have to start crafting it and... Um, and You're I'm amazing. You're absolutely amazing. You're so disciplined, Juliet, that you, um, uh, you've you always been a writer. You've always been an artist. You're very talented, and you've always been um, so interested in women and their lives. And I, um, I'm full of admiration for what you've done and what you're continuing to do. You're never going to give up, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ruth, I, I like to... I just hear from my readers how helpful my writing is for them and how it brings them into bigger perspectives than they were allowing themselves. And as long as that is the case, I will keep writing. And in your last chapter, you invite the reader to um, think about all these things you've said through the years, through two or three years, and you're discovering, you know, have a go at discovering new ways of doing things, and I'm learning to do that. <laughs> and I, I thank you so much for writing this, and I know many of my friends will gather uh, from it and gain so much from it. So the release word is the one for me. 
So thank you for the Persimmon Journal. I just think it's a delight. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's releasing grief often too. You feel younger, lighter, and uh, it's a, like a warm companion, uh, one of your reviewers said, personal and real, inviting me to look at everyday things, nature and ageing with new eyes. So, Juliet, you write with vulnerability and courage, and I didn't really want it to end because I thought, well, this is my, partly this is my life too. So thank you for writing the Persimmon Journal, The Art of Getting Older Through Lockdown, Loss and Release. And it's written by Juliet Batten, and there's another one on the way, and it's published by Ishtar Books in Auckland. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Cult Trip, Inside the World of Coercion and Control, has been written by Anka Richter. Anka is a local, she lives in Littleton, but um, before she immigrated with her family here, she worked in newsrooms and TV productions in Hamburg and Cologne. She's published a lot in overseas journals and magazines, as well as New Zealand Geographic, North and South, and the spin-off. The cult trip has been a long journey to keep on with the, <laughs> with the metaphor for you, hasn't it? As you say, from, a, from an enthusiastic participant to a critical observer. Yeah, hi Maureen. It's great to be here with you and talk about it. It's been a, a, a long time coming, this book, because I set off about 10 years ago to research the aftermath of Centerpoint. And as you probably know, um, I kind of failed on the first round because it became so intense and so difficult. And I, um, I, I was dealing with so many people's trauma and legal issues and whatnot. So I kind of gave up on that first round, but I stuck with the cult journalism and came back to it um, over the last years again and again, also looking into Gloria Vell and into a tantric cult in Thailand and the New Age scene. Um, and I've also dabbled in some of this myself, so it's kind of all come come together that I had to take a hard look at my own endeavors while I was researching cults. And yeah, you've been... You've been holding the results in your hands, I guess. <laughs> well, fascinating read, absolutely fascinating. And and for me, partly because I had a family member who was involved in one of the cults back in the 1970s, early 80s. So I've always puzzled about, you know, it's always been a huge puzzle for me. What was it about him, intelligent young man with, you know, so-called happy family. Um, well, you know, I shouldn't say those things, but that's what we do say, don't we, when when people get involved yeah. in these in these cults. That's 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 exactly right. That you think, oh, someone must be unhappy or maybe not so intelligent to end up in a cult. And you know what? It's actually that is so not true. It's actually often the opposite. Or at least, I mean, people have reasons for looking for something, looking for some kind of healing, or for looking looking for a community. But it's not because they're intelligent and not intelligent or because they're lost souls or because they're easily duped it's it's more often a, you know striving for more in life than just um the ordinary and it's often a spiritual seeking and i mean we're all we all 
creatures who crave community. I think it's a very human need and it's often not met anymore in our society and especially if you think of, you know, the years of the pandemic and lockdowns, but also churches have just sort of run run their course on most people and, and traditional religions. So it's not surprising that the whole wellness world and the more sort of spiritual field and little groups that are very passionate and love bomb you and pull you in but then uh, possibly harm you further down the track it's not surprising that they have an appeal at first and that they that they can seem like this this great maybe learning space where you get fantastic coaching or you do a training or you you have some kind of transformational awakening it's it's often something like that that almost feels like you're you're falling in love with something and that has nothing got to do that's got nothing to do with how smart someone is i think we need to really um rethink of what we think who, who we think cult members are because we're, we're doing a real disservice to people who have been in cults and it doesn't actually help us to protect us from falling into cults if we think it's just the weak and the stupid who end, who end up in them. And I think that's, you know, one of the great things that your book highlights and hopefully, you know, encourages people to be far more empathetic with people who are coming out of cults or um, or are in them and and it gives gives us an insight into how you might you know not deal with them but um, try and get alongside them and <laughs> you know the hope is that you you could bring them back out again but it's um, you know this so it, it, what intrigued me too in this um, Anka is how you know, the similar path that these cults take, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? This, the sort of guru yeah. and the, well, you, you explain, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all, I mean, there are three main cults in my book, Gloria Vella, Centerpoint and Agama and everything in between. They all look very different from, from the outset, right? But they, they have something in common, and I think it's fair to say that, that they're all sex cults in their own way. Or actually, to be more correct, sexual abuse cults, because sexual abuse is such a mainstay of cults in general. Um, but in all of these three cults, inclu- including Gloria Vale, there is a heavy, and was with center point, a heavy focus on sexuality. And also in Gloria Vale, it's actually the case. And you wouldn't really think that so much because of the, you know, the way people dress and the strict Christianity and the um, enforced monogamy and all of that. But um, so, so that's kind of become my um, observation from researching these groups. I think, wow, that sexuality plays such a big part there and it's it's distorted or it's suppressed or it's amplified also at Gloria Vale actually very much a focus um, but then also distorted and it becomes a means of control and of subjugation of women and so on so yeah I think cults are a feminist issue and we sh- we need to be more aware of that that it's not to, they're not just an obscurity or some uh, or a freak show there are actually many patriarchies in our midst um, and we, we, they need to come under scrutiny and there are massive human rights issues there and abuse issues and they need to be addressed and that's finally happening at least with Gloryville in the courts but I would say too little too late. Yes, exactly because um, it seems to me that Gloria Vale, the, the leaders have got sort of smarter and smarter as as they've come under more and more scrutiny so that they are sort of coming up with, with ways of, of 
of avoiding or reworking what they're up to so it looks more and more plausible to the outside when it isn't. Yeah, I mean, also religious freedom, you know, grants grants a lot of groups like Gloriaville license to to do things that they couldn't usually do in our society, at least not in a country like Aotearoa New Zealand, or they shouldn't be able to do that. And I think it's really important that where we we don't throw the baby out with a bathwater that we, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a real, I see myself as part of the counterculture in here, not so much as the mainstream. And I, I want people, for people to, to live any kind of relationship style or lifestyle or, or spiritual belief that they have, yeah, and not be restricted in that. While I also think we need to, you know, make sure that we don't um, let something fly under the radar just because it's it's religious or especially with Christianity. I think it's often um, it's easier to point the, the finger at the so-called dirty hippies and wonder what's going on there in their communities but then we let um, we let a, a absolutely misogynistic um, slave laborer um, community um, do their thing we buy their products we don't hold them accountable we have positive tv programs about them as tv and that did so sorry if I'm, I'm on a bit of a rant here but no, I, no. I you know <laughs> it is it is i think i think you know it's really important that we become more cult aware just as we become more consent aware and maybe trauma informed i think the next sort of the next hurdle the next frontier is really to understand culture dynamics better and and nip them in the bud you talked originally about how you had to sort of put the Bert Potter centre point mess to the, to one side for your mm. own physical, mental and emotional health um, and then come back to it, obviously, in order to do this book. What are, what are your feelings now? I hate talking about feelings, but <laughs> I can't sort of avoid it. How are you now that the book is published and out there and and you're able to talk about it with, you know, with all the sort of media outlets and, and people that are interested now? Well, I like talking about feelings, Maureen. Oh, God, no, you do. So, <laughs> so um, thanks for asking because it's, it feels very rewarding. And who would have thought, you know, seven, eight years ago when I gave up this center point book that I couldn't write in the end, who would have thought that there would be a second round, like, a, you know, that there would be this sort of miracle baby after the, after the miscarriage. It feels really good. And I'm, and I'm really, really grateful that I get to talk about it and that people, that actually can reach people's minds and hearts with what I've unearthed. And some of it is only the tip of the iceberg, what I've put in the book. There was a lot more, which, you know, just for legal and psychological reasons, I couldn't you know, put in there, but I think the gist of it comes comes across, and I'm 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 actually a bit blown away by the response I'm getting and the reactions I'm getting. And in the in the first weeks when the book came out, I had messages on a daily basis, almost from people also who've been in cults or who wrote me little notes when I when I gave book readings at writers' festivals, and they said, "Please contact me." You know, I've been a child in this cult, and I want to talk about this. And so I think there's a real need, and I've hit a nerve. Um, for you know, also for people who maybe feel they haven't been 
seen and recognized enough with their own history of having having been raised in the cult because we see this a lot more now is actually young adults who who didn't have a choice who were brought into a cult who who grew up in them and they're finding a voice as well and so i'm i'm really i'm really supportive of 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 those kind of movements and survivor groups and seeing them speak up and i also want to get um you know some kind of social better social services happening for for cult survivors here in Aotearoa that that when they come out um they get better counseling and they're not just seen as these these weird freaks but actually as as people who've you know who've endured something really horrific and who need specific support so yeah i'm 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 all fired up to do to do more work in that way while i'm also quite relieved that i've wrapped all this up now that the book is out and i'm not doing any actual cult reporting in the moment it's, it's probably good as well for my mental health I'm pleased to hear that. So I think you've done an extraordinary job of pulling it all together. It's a fascinating book and um, one that um, I think will be extraordinarily um, useful and helpful to anybody who's had exposure or knowledge or or experience of, of the sort of... Um, cults that you're talking about and they're all around us. So thank you so much, Anka. I hope you um, take a deep breath. <laughs> thank you so much, and Warren. And have time thank, out. Thank yeah. yeah. I will. I will. I actually just went on a, don't laugh, I just went on a silent meditation retreat. So I haven't quite given up my own <laughs> searching and <laughs> exploring in that area, but I'm, I'm only doing things that feel really, really safe and grounded and are not too extreme. So <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. The book is called Cult Trip, Inside the World of Coercion and Control. It's by Anka Richter and it's published by HarperCollins. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.